I have many different hats and I have many different roles too. I am a pastor, I'm an adjunct instructor, I'm a strengths coach, I'm a chamber ambassador, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and yes, I'm a friend and a lover. <laughs> I'm a Trekkie, I'm an outdoorsman. I am so sorry, but I am also sarcastic and I'm working on it. I'm a kayaker and I'm a maker of fine desserts. I have one particular dessert that people refer to as Max Crack, right? <laughs> so all of these labels apply to me and yet none of them comes close to defining who I am. I am more than just all of those labels. And even though there's a piece of me all over that, I'm still me on the inside, I'm still Max. In high school, we allow our tribe to define who we are, right? For those of you in high school right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're a jock, you dress like a jock, you hang with the jocks, you are a jock, whether it's baseball, basketball, football. Then there's the people in drama. If you do musical productions, if you do plays, you're, that's your crew, that's your tribe. You dress like them, you hang with them. In band, you just go away for a long time because marching season requires everything you have and then more. It's like the Marine Corps, you're just gone. And then eventually, sometime after homecoming, you come back, okay? But in high school, tribes define, you allow tribes to define who you are. Can I ask you students a question? If nerd or geek was the label that in the group in the tribe that you identified with, would that one label adequately define you? No, of course not, of course not. Adults do the same thing, by the way. Adults embrace labels and roles. So in the adult world, typically that's, that centers around vocation. One of the first questions typically adults ask each other is, so what do you do? I always like to make up titles for that. I'm, I'm a pastor of fun. I create atmosphere, I, you know, I throw anything out to catch them off guard. Because as soon as you say, as soon as I say pastor, all their preconceived notions and everything comes boom, oh. You wouldn't believe how many times that's the response if you say, so what do you do? I'm a pastor, oh. <laughs> going to step back now, okay? But doctor, head of nursing at Central Baptist, Okay? There's all kinds of vocational roles that come into play. There's a rivalry between UK and Central Baptist. Don't pretend like there's not. Okay? Then there are the roles. Husband, few of us guys, you know, will let that. But then there's, I'm a mom. I'm a dance mom. And I've got it on the back of my van. And you better get out of the way because we're late to practice. Okay? There's all these various roles. Married, single, divorced, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Socialists feeling the burn, all of us willingly don and wear labels. And I wanna to suggest to you that as we begin talking about identity, that what you put in that space has power over you and has power to define you. And we're gonna talk about that especially two weeks from now. But all of us roll that way. And all of these labels, all of these roles, all of these names that, are, that attempt to define who we are, they're based on what others think of us. They're based on what we think of ourselves. In a word, they're our identity. 
The fact of being or who or what a person, a thing is, does that really tell you what identity is? No. Identity is two things made up together, two things. The first part of identity is this sense of self, the durable core of you, the you of you, that despite all the hats and roles and relationships you have, it's the you on the inside. Um, sometimes people will put on an act for everyone else and they'll only let the real them out for maybe a lover or a best friend. And you'll hear them say this phrase, this is the real me. That stuff at work, that stuff at school, that's just an act. I just perform for everybody. This is who I really am. And when they say that, they're talking about identity. The other part of identity is the sense of worth, a sense of value, what makes you feel significance and gives you a sense of value. Now, every culture has a way of identity formation. Every culture. In traditional cultures, it's communal. And family has a lot to do with it. And so you obtain a good identity in a traditional culture by sublimating yourself to the good of your family or to the good of your community. In other words, in a traditional culture, you don't grow up and ask, gosh, I hope I meet somebody that I fall in love with and I can marry. No, you say, uh, I'm going to marry the person that my parents have picked out or often arranged for me to marry. That's who I'm going to marry. You don't dream at night about doing something because guess what? You're going to do exactly what your dad did and his dad before him did. And that's kind of how it works in traditional cultures. Um, so outside of the West, outside of our culture, if you ask someone, who are you? Uh, the Pacific Rim, Vietnam, uh, the core continent of Africa, all over the Middle East, they'll answer in terms of community, in terms of relationship. I am the, uh, I am the son of Sheikh Mohammed Al-Azhar. That's who I am. Or they'll say, I am the mother of Ming Li. That's who I am. I am the mother of Ming Li. And, and so they will root it in relationship. And in those cultures, honor is bestowed on you when you submit to the good of family and to the good of community. Our culture is different, isn't it? Our culture is very different. Our culture tells us, look on the inside. Find certain dreams, certain feelings, certain intuitions, assert them, express them, follow them, and make them happen. And don't you let anyone tell you what to do. You follow your heart. Jenny had a childhood friend named Branch. Branch had a father named Branch. They were both Branch Fields. And Branch's father was a doctor, he was Dr. Fields. And Dr. Fields wanted his son to follow in his footsteps and become a doctor. And so Branch went through college, went through medical school, halfway through residency, mustered the courage to say, you know what, I wanna be an opera singer. I know, I wanna be an opera singer. Do you know what all of Branch's friends did? Yeah, Branch, you go. You don't do what your dad told you to do. You be your own person. And we, everybody was cheering Branch on. All the parents were like, oh, you just went through medical school? <laughs> you know, okay? So he did that. This, by the way, is the story arc of High School Musical, right? We just had this on the campus of Asbury University a week ago. They did, they did a performance, the sophomore class of High School Musical. But this is the story arc of it. 
Troy Bolton and Gabriela Montez meet at a ski lodge over New Year's and they do karaoke together and they realize they love singing. But there's a problem. Troy is a jock and he's the captain of the basketball team and Troy's father is the coach, Coach Bolton. And Gabriella is a science nerd and so their tribes dictate their identity and they're not supposed to sing, they're not supposed to do a musical. Well, of course, they audition and they get a callback and the, and the movie culminates with them knocking it out of the park for their audition and Troy's father, Coach Bolton, saying to him basically, I was so wrong. I didn't know you could sing like that. You should follow your heart. You should do this. Don't let me tell you what to do, son. And of course, what do we all do? Yeah, happy ending. Do you know that we are programmed to respond that way? We are programmed to respond that way. We are culturally conditioned to applaud this kind of thing because our culture says, follow your heart, follow your dreams. That's how you have a good life. That's how you have an honorable life. That's the right way to know who you are. And if you don't believe me, those of you who are younger, try and experiment. Announce to your friends and extended family that instead of going to college, your parents have told you and made a demand of you that you're gonna have to do a year and a half service with youth with a mission because they want you to get rooted in your Christianity and that they're not letting you go to college right away and pursue your dream and see what your friends say. See what your extended family says. I mean, you might get grandma and grandpa going, listen, we'll talk to my, your parents. <laughs> we will work this out, right? So, I mean, this is, this is ingrained in us. And in case you don't believe me, I want to highlight some graduation speeches. This, by the way, has a name. It's called expressive individualism. That's what our culture says is the right way to form identity, expressive individualism. Expressive individualism says you do what you want, you do what you feel, over against what your parents say, over against what society says, follow your heart, follow your dreams. And our culture celebrates this. Here's what uh, Michael Dell said in 2003. As you start your journey, the first thing you should do is throw away that store-bought map and draw your own. What's your big idea? What are you willing to spend your moral capital, your intellectual capital, your cash, your sweat equity in pursuing outside the walls of the University of Pennsylvania? The world is more malleable than you think and it's waiting for you to hammer it into shape. Bono. Death is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you'll graduate, become the old, and be cleared away. Sorry to be just so dramatic, but it's quite true. Your time is limited, and here's the key. So don't waste it living someone else's life. Steve Jobs. You have to leave the city of your comfort and go into the wilderness of where? Your intuition. You can't get there by bus, only by hard work and risk and not quite knowing what you're doing. But what you'll discover will be wonderful. What you'll discover will be yourself. Alan Alda. For the most important decisions in your life, trust your intuition and then work with everything you have to prove it right. I'm... I'm not gonna stand up here and say that individualism in and of itself is bad. And you know what? The fact that Branch sings opera today, that's a good thing. It really is. I've heard him sing. He's amazing. 
even though he went to medical school to sing that well, okay? He's amazing. He's toured all over Europe. But the advice that all of us are given from culture, that the way to know who you are is to reach down on the inside, pull something out, express it, and make it happen, I wanna suggest to you today that it's actually bad advice. And I wanna make a case for it. So as we start this series, what I'm wanting to do today is, uh, it's kind of like what I did with our sex series earlier this calendar year. We've got to know what we're being told culturally in order to begin to interpret anything from the Bible. And so I I wanna kinda peel away the layers and let you see this is what culture says to us about how to live our lives. And it's, it's in the movies we watch, it's in the songs that we sing, and it's, it's told to us after one graduation after another. Reach down inside, pull it out, express it, follow it, make it happen, and that'll be you, and you'll find yourself, and life will be well. It'll be a good life. But again, I wanna suggest to you today that it's actually bad advice. And in, in order to do that, I'm borrowing heavily from Tim Keller. Tim is a uh, Presbyterian pastor from New York City, so I don't hold the fact that he's from New York or that he's a Presbyterian against him. And, and so I'm borrowing heavily for his thinking in this message, but I wanna share with you five reasons he gave my alma mater. He showed up at my alma mater and he was talking to young, 20, young 19, 20-year-olds, and he said, expressive individualism doesn't work for five reasons. And I wanna share his five reasons with you today because I think he nails it right on the head. Five reasons why expressive individualism doesn't work. First of all, it's incoherent. In other words, what's on the inside doesn't always match up. It doesn't always align. I can't tell you how many Asbury couples I've met over the years and he's a media comm major and feels called to go to Los Angeles and break into the film industry and, and be a Christian salt and light and change Hollywood. And she's got a call to go to the middle part of Africa and help people learn forgiveness as Muslims kill Christians and Christians kill Muslims. But they love each other and they think they're supposed to be together. And they don't know what to do because none of this stuff matches together. Help us, Pastor Max, help us. Do you know the panic they have when they sit down with me? Here's the deal, they want conflicting things. It's in you and it's in me. Over our lives, we are, what we want isn't perfectly aligned. That's not how life works. And so for these poor Asbury students, they have to figure out what do I want more? Do I want this other person more or do I wanna go to LA more? I know, I feel this inherently. As I'm getting closer to 50, when I'm looking in the mirror, I go, I want to maintain (laughs) a certain shape. I don't want to balloon out. And then I go to Kroger and I see that they have caribou mint, you know, ice cream. And I go, I want that. I'm, I'm telling you, I want conflicting things. These things are not, they cannot coexist. Eating three gallons of ice cream and having a flat belly don't work together, okay? So you're the same way. So the first reason why expressive individualism doesn't work is that it's incoherent. What we want on the inside is, is conf- conflicts with its own other wants and desires that we have. The other reason, a second reason that expressive individualism doesn't work is that it's unstable. What's on the inside is always changing. For those of you that are 20, 
let me ask you, as you think back to your 15-year-old self, right, what an idiot, right? <laughs> as you think back to the 15-year-old version of you, what an idiot that person was. And then, okay, for those of you that are 30, think back to your 20-year-old self. <laughs> right, now we're like, oh yes, that person was an idiot, <laughs> okay? It's why I don't go back and listen to sermons I've delivered five years ago or 10 years ago, because you know what happens when I'm listening to them? It's why you'll never hear the same sermon from me twice. I go back, I listen to a sermon that was like 12 years old, and you know what I thought? This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. There's this nuance in the text, and there's these cultural things, and I can't believe they let him speak. And that was just 12 years ago. You're always changing. You are always changing, all right? The other, and a third reason that expressive individualism doesn't work is that it's illusionary. It's illusory. In other words, you think you have these feelings, but a lot of times you have these feelings because culture has put them there. And in order to flesh this out, let me talk about two men living in two different time periods. Take an Anglo-Saxon man living in Europe in 800 AD. That man has two feelings. One, he's mad. He's angry. He wants to hurt people, beat people, kill people. He lives in an honor and shame culture that relies on a hierarchical structure of fear. And so acting out on those impulses on behalf of the king is rewarded. Now, on the other hand, he looks at some other men and he is sexually attracted to them. He has these two feelings going on. Which feeling does he suppress? The feelings of same-sex attraction. And he acts out on the, the one where he's beaten on people. Take another man living in 2016 New York. He has two feelings on the inside. One, he's mad. He wants to hurt people, he wants to beat them, he wants to kill them. And then on the other hand, he looks at certain men and he's sexually attracted to them. What does he do? Well, he goes to anger management classes <laughs> to deal with this anger, and then he meets someone and they, they get together. Because in 2016 New York, one's rewarded, and in 800 AD Europe, another thing is rewarded. We are culturally conditioned to respond certain ways to certain things, all right? So culture will often kind of tip the scales for us when it comes to identity, and culture rewards some things over other. Now, here's the good news and scary news for us that are, that are Christians, that are Jesus followers. Over the next several decades in America, as Christianity becomes less and less favorable, like in order to have your identity rooted in Jesus is gonna really be countercultural, which I think will be awesome, but also potentially problematic, <laughs> right? Because culture rewards conformity, all right? A fourth reason that expressive individualism doesn't work is that it's huge pressure. Remember those graduation speeches? You gotta reach down on the inside of who? You, you gotta pull it out, and who's gonna make it happen? You, the world's not gonna hand it to you, the world's not gonna give you anything, you gotta go out there and work it, you gotta make your dreams come true. That's huge pressure. <laughs> Can we not all agree? That's huge pressure. And when you make your identity, your career, a particular form of your body, another person, those things will crush you. They will. They, they have the capacity to crush you, and they will. 
Another reason and a fifth reason why expressive individualism doesn't work is that it's excluding. In other words, it's not enough to be smart. It's not enough to be successful. You have to be smarter than. You have to be more successful than. And, and, and the way it works in those settings, uh, achieving your dream only satisfies if you're at the top. If you have a social media company and you develop it and there are 15 other companies that are better and deliver a better product and are bigger than you, you're not going home going, woo! <laughs> you're going home with your tail between your legs, right? So it's excluding. These five reasons, I think, show us why we should have serious doubts about how our culture tells us to shape and frame our identity. And in the midst of all of those voices, there is one still small voice who says, follow me. There is one still small voice who says, my yoke, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's the voice of the shepherd. I wonder if you'll turn to me to John chapter 10 and if we'll let Jesus speak for a moment. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber, but the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. This is... Uh, making a distinction between a good shepherd and bad shepherds. Uh, a shepherd, by the way, leads sheep. Sheep follow, the shepherd leads. If you see somebody behind sheep and they're driving the sheep, do you know what that person is? The butcher, that's exactly right. <laughs> the butcher. And so the sheep know the shepherd's voice. They recognize the shepherd's voice. Isn't it interesting that when God speaks in the Bible, no one ever says, oh, wait, whoa, 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 wait, did you get that? I, I missed that. Did you get it? I, I think God was speaking. What was that again? No one, no one misses God's voice. So the second part of this passage, those who heard Jesus used, they didn't understand it, so he explained it to them. I'm the gate. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen. And where is he taking them? Good pastures. Where is he why is he wanting to do this? To give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is leading his sheep to pasture and he is guarding the sheepfold and providing safety for the sheep. In Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, the people who are supposed to be under shepherds of Israel are getting rich off of other people's work, are neglecting the weak, are ignoring the lost. And Jesus stands in contrast to that. In this metaphor, in this metaphor, in this passage of the Bible, Jesus is the shepherd. Here's a big question. Who are the sheep? Us. We are the sheep. This is a consistent metaphor all the way through Scripture. Did you know that this is not a compliment? We don't have our farmer friends with us today they could verify this is true, but of all the kind of animals that you can have, sheep are the least self-sustaining of any kind of farm animal. 
They don't have the sense to come in from the rain. They can't lead themselves to pasture. They have to be sheared in the news about six months ago was there was a sheep that had gotten lost for a year and a half. And its wool was so big it had almost killed it because it hadn't been shorn. It made the, it made the national news, right? Sheep are totally and completely dependent on the shepherd for everything. In other words, you and I are totally and completely dependent upon Jesus for everything, including our identity. I wanna suggest to you as we get going in this series that you cannot reach down inside, pull something out, express it, and have that be enough. It will never be enough to define who you are. In light of that, let me ask a couple of questions. Where do you go for validation? If it's not to Jesus, where do you go? I had a friend who had it in his job. He worked for Boeing. Remember, he took his son when they got one of the newer Boeing planes all the way to Hong Kong. And I would follow the post and I'd be like, I took my son to Winchester. <laughs> we had a grand old time, didn't we, John Mark? Right? No. And I looked at that and I was like, well, I stink as a dad. And then there were cuts and he was cut. And he has, it's been two and a half years and he still hasn't recovered. That was his identity. That was who he was. He couldn't, it's almost as though he's not been able to reboot anything in life. I was this amazing person at Boeing and, and it was tied up in there. I've known people that their identity was and where they went for validation was the love of another person. And when that person rejected them or the, the relationship turned south, it was devastating. So where do you go for validation? And then who or what has power over you? As we begin this series, I simply wanted to kind of pull the veil on culture and I wanted you to see what our culture tells us. And I wanna suggest to you that what our culture says is bad advice. You, pulling, reaching down, pulling it out, expressing it, whew, that's a lot of pressure. And Keller's right, it doesn't work. As we, you wanna know how to live? You wanna be free? I wanna suggest to you that you should follow the shepherd. You should look to the shepherd. He will lead you to a rich and satisfying life.